Welcome to Notes from the Field, presented by Canon Press and Noeo Science. For all your homeschool science needs, be sure to check out noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com. N-O-E-O science.com. Well, hello, Will. Hello, Gordon. Good to be here with you again. Yes, it's great to be here. Well, how was your week? Oh, you know what? Let me start by this. I'll tell you an interesting observation I have. Every once in a while, I'll be splitting a piece of wood. We have a wood burning mm-hmm. stove, and uh, some of my wood is not as good as other rounds of wood, and it splits, and you kind of know it because it's, it's dry rotted right. out. It's it's kind of- Pops right open. Density's gone. Yeah, it just pops right open. It's like balsa wood after all that. Yeah, it is. The balsa <laughs> wood bridge uh, physics activity. Um, so I was splitting this one and then this cavernous interior, all these little open tubes and mm-hmm. chock full of carpenter ants. The carpenter yeah. ants were thick in there. Right. So I thought, I thought, okay, yeah, the carpenter ants, they're, they're toast. Bring the wood inside, warms up, dries out. Some of these ants start moving. Yeah. And I just didn't realize uh, that well, that was possible. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think. Oh, they're hibernating. They probably oh, yeah. have higher glucose concentrations in their cells. Yeah, and their extracellular spaces are frozen, and now they're thawing out. And my wife was quite surprised. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, do you have any any interesting observations of the Lord's creation? Well, this I week? know that carbon ants uh, are what go after wood up in these. Uh, in this part of the United States, because we don't have house termites right. like the, the deep south does. And carpenter ants are their substitute up here, but we still don't have the same, you know, nowhere near the same kind of damage with carpenter ants. Yeah. As the south has with termites. Right. Very similar creatures. Well, similar. Yeah. In the sense, uh, well, the termites are a different order. Okay. And answer hymenoptera. Okay. Yeah. Ah, very good. Termites are isoptera. Okay. Gotcha. Neat. Well, we're talking about a, a different group of creatures entire. Well, not entirely. We're, there's going to be some overlap here with, with insects. And this is kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a weird, you can't even really call it a taxon if you were to, a, no. you know, describe this group. It's kind of a, a bizarre, a lot of folks describe it as intra-kingdom. At oh, least, for sure. At least in relationship. There's, yeah. So we have- So a, go ahead, breach, yeah, so approach I, the topic. Yeah, so this, uh, every once in a while, there's an inter-kingdom relationship. You see something like lichen, which is lichen. A, a, yep. a mutual relationship between algae and fungus, sometimes two types of fungus. And this, uh, these, what we're talking about today are galls. Right. And so this- Tumors yeah, on plants. It's like a tumor, or, or as some writers have described it, a, a five-star hotel- uh, for, for from, the from, insect, yeah, or the, yeah, it's bill? a it's a great it's a great little hotel for whatever is causing the gall, right? So it may be an insect, it may be a fungus, it could be a, a nematode, it could be a bacteria or a, a virus. virus. Yeah, like the number of of gall causing creatures is huge. The list goes on, and yeah. it's almost always the host is a plant. 
yeah. as far as we know. I mean, at you least we're talking call, about plant galls today. Yeah, I mean, you can, if it's in an animal, we call that a, a, some other, we don't normally call it a gall. We call it a tumor. Right. But essentially, it's just an abnormal growth due to some parasite that's invaded the tissue. Yeah. But if it's a plant tissue, it's, it's called a gall. So weird warts and, and each gall has its own shape, morphology. It can be big, it can be small, it can be round, it can be pointy. It can be all sorts of shapes and sizes. And, um, you know, I'm not a plant pathologist. Um, you, you have whole departments or, or sub-departments at universities that study uh, plant diseases. Right. And, uh, and often those guys, especially the ones that study galls, you know, know a lot about the different kinds of galls, know by just looking at the gall, whether it's a virus or a nematode or fungus or bacteria or insect caused. Right. So. Yeah, I remember first getting introduced to galls. It was freshman year of college in my intro zoology class. And the professor was talking about going out and just finding some dormant goldenrod in the field. It was wintertime. Mm -hmm. And uh, lo and behold, if you look at a lot of these goldenrod plants, which is a really neat yellow flowering plant, I think the state flower of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Shout out to our Nebraskan friends out there. <laughs> um, but there's just a little ball, little ball shaped expansion of mm -hmm. the stem mm -hmm. about, about maybe a quarter down from the top. Um, and that was the home of, of some little gall fly larva or mm -hmm. gall wasp larva. Right. And there, there are thousands of these species right. of gall causing um, insects, I think, are probably the most common or most well known. Right. I know when I was doing my master's degree in entomology, I did a seminar on, um, on gall wasps. Oh, neat. And uh, that was an interesting study. Uh, you know, it's foggy. It was over, golly, over 30 years ago. <laughs> but um, the, the gall wasps, it's one whole family of wasps, tiny parasitoid uh, wasps that lay their eggs into plant material and usually oak, if not, I recall mostly, if not all oak, different species of oaks. And um, the insect larvae, when they hatch, their saliva produces some analog of a plant hormone that starts to alter plant development. Yeah. So instead of making a normal uh, stem or whatever tissue it's in, it starts to grow in sort of a tumorous mass, which forms the five-star hotel for the developing larva. Right. A larvae. And uh, they live inside this gall munching away at undifferentiated plant tissue until they finally pupate and then emerge from the gall as adult tiny wasps. And so. And yeah. often, often that uh, takes place, at least in the temperate zone, as far as I understand it, yeah. it takes place over winter. And then they, they, they come out in the spring or summer yeah. the following year. Yeah. I'm not, I, I forget their life cycle. I do remember that it was amazing that when the, uh, the female wasp lays the egg down into the tissue, they penetrate a bit into it and lay the egg, but you don't want to have the egg suffocate when it's buried so in all this tissue. Well, no, she 
plunge it down deep enough to suffocate. But what was neat is that as the egg came out, there was this extension on the egg that came all the way up to the surface. Wow. Like a snorkel. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so she would plant it just at the depth that the snor the snorkel's length. <laughs> that is really yeah, neat. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing and allowed the, the egg and the developing larva inside the egg to uh, get enough oxygen. Get enough oxygen. So pretty amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, the one that I'm most familiar with around here, we, you do have those oak, they call them oak apples. A lot of places mm -hmm. they get big enough to be called a small apple. The one that I see the most around here is the, the mossy rose gall, uh, which is a, a wild rose in our area. Gets this absolutely almost moss-like type, type of plant tissue. Looks nothing like the rest of the plant. Right. Um, and some of these roses are absolutely loaded Don't with they the look mossy like rose sort galls. Of a, a, a sphere that's sort of hairy? Yeah, they do. The, the, it's almost like this mossy, hairy type of fibrous material on the outside. Mm -hmm. And some people... I think there's a similar one in Britain, um, or it might have just been the old time uh, term they use, but a lot of folks used to call them Robin's pincushion. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. They, they have a, a completely different set of features than mm -hmm. the plant usually makes. And so, you know, all living things are made of cells. Right. Cells have genetic material, the blueprints of life, the DNA, and th those DNA uh, genes are found on the DNA molecule. And all these different parts of the plant are coded for by the different gene sequences on this DNA molecule. But something happens remarkably when this insect or bacteria or whatever creature lays its egg. It causes a series of events, maybe by mimicking plant hormones, right. maybe by some other way causing different genes or different versions of the same gene to all of a sudden start making this five-star hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of a, I've been, I was interested in galls initially. Um, there's a, if you really like this topic, there's a very long three-part article um, by, by a guy and his name is Wolf Eckhard Lonig. I believe he's German. Sounds and like he's it. written extensively about galls uh, because he sees them uh, he doesn't necessarily see them uh, as a parasite, mm -hmm. um, and so maybe maybe we could talk about well, that yeah, a little bit. Well, yeah, we can talk about that as, okay, we know that plant death, or even if it's not plant death, just sort of this weird growth, but even if we destroy the plant, that's not a sign of the fall, because plant death is not a problem. It's the, one of the things that the Genes Genesis talks about is animal death. Nefesh. Nefesh. So when plants die or parts of plants die, that's not a problem when they drop their leaves. Now you might say, well, a plant tumor, you know, if it's ugly or, you know, this, this is an interesting topic and I really haven't thought through it completely. You'd say, well, okay, plant death isn't a problem, you know, cutting off leaves and having herbivores eat leaves and stuff like that isn't a problem that's that was prior to the fall mm -hmm. so what's the difference between insects eating plants altering plant development to form a a little tumor that they live inside it doesn't seem to harm the plant yeah that much right and that seems to be kind of the consensus is uh there's an assumption that it's probably taking 
energy and nutrients from the plant, which is a good assumption. It's spending but even them- if it kills it, you know, is that a, uh, <laughs> we know that killing the plant's not a problem with fall. Absolutely. I, mean, I yeah. mean, that's not necessarily a result of fall because we could kill plants before. But there's something weird. Yeah. Yeah. And my question more is, uh, is more regarding origins. And this individual that I referenced a second ago, ago is thoroughly convinced that, that galls really present a problem for neo-Darwinism hmm. uh, in that uh, they, this is the plant actually doing uh, the bulk of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's making these, that means the genes for this hotel were already in the DNA of the gall. Before the gall former showed up, the, the proteins code was already present in that plant DNA. And mm-hmm. so he, he was convinced that this is a, a pretty good evidence that um, a, a species is benefiting another species, maybe at its own cost, or, or at least it's not getting anything. So he saw this as, as uh, contrary to mm. natural selection. Hmm. Yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting. We know that agrobacterium... Tumefaceans, that's the bacterium that causes a common gall in broadleaf plants called crown gall. Uh, you'll see it sometimes on trees with big warty, warty growths on the bark. That's, that can be crown gall, and it can be a small plant that forms hmm. crown gall. Same, so it's pretty versatile in terms of the types of broadleaf plants that it can infect, but it still makes sort of a tumorous growth. But That bacterium has a very amazing ability to splice its own tumor-inducing genes. It's into the plant genome. Right. So, I don't know. Different ballgame altogether. Yeah. So, when that person is talking about the genes are already in the plant, I'm wondering if they got there from the agrobacterium. Yeah. No, I I think, and this this article is more focusing on on, um, insect uh, causing galls, which still there could be uh, mm-hmm. some connection. This is an area that that's still being thoroughly researched, like many other topics uh, in in biology. I have one article from I think one from 2019, one from 2020, and a lot of the more popular articles still kind of throw up their hands. We're not sure exactly the the biochemical mechanism at play for these insect causing galls. Okay, so it might be that the insects have not the hormones, but like the enzymes that cause cause the plant to make uh, an abnormal concentrations of hormones, right. but it's like they're sort of sabotaging the plant's Endocrine system, basically, yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's I, one I of the know. speculations, is that uh, some type of phytohormone, plants make hormones, right. just like animals do. And, and that, so, I'm just wondering, is, do you, you're not sure whether the insect's making the hormone that's mimicking the plant, or just uh, adding enzymes that sort of alter the plant's own hormone making ability. Yeah. So the the article I read earlier today suggested that the insect caused an increase in cytokinin right. levels. Okay. Uh, but it's made not by nec- the plant. Made by the made plant. by the plant exactly. Which okay. then change which then changed the gene expression, uh, or changed the version of the gene that was built. Uh, okay. Subsequently. Yeah. So okay. it's a remarkable. Yeah. Remarkable process. I have a historical footnote here, which is really fun. And I've come across this gentleman's name, and I know you're going to have some thoughts here. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you say. Uh, This individual, uh, this is a quote from the article I referenced earlier. The plants perform all of these services, services being building the the five-star hotel, 
which is often t- up to 12 layers thick, the interior being undifferentiated tissue, as you mentioned, for food, and the exterior being more kind of, of a rind, yeah, a harder rind. more of a hard substrate to, to keep the, the, that larva protected from the elements. Um, right. So he says here, he says, the plants perform all of these services essentially at their own expense, and the cost can be alarmingly high as has already been observed by the famous physician and naturalist Marcello Malpighi, mm-hmm. I might have pronounced that incorrectly, and he was 1628 to 1694, who, after s- carefully studying plant galls, stated in his book, De Gallus, that nature has endowed them, the insects, with such ingenuity that they force the plants to provide the uterus and, so to speak, the nourishing breasts for the eggs they lay on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's something in insects that was named after that guy. Yeah. Which gets at nephesh life a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So, Malpighi, the, there's these excretory tubules in insects called Malpighian tubules. And they are sort of the insect's equivalent of kidneys. Okay. Malpighian tubules. Malpighian tubules. Incredible. Yeah. This is, uh, there are thousands of species of these creatures. Uh, that that are known, and I have another uh, interesting uh, bit here about o- oaks and oak gall. Apparently, this is one of the first substances naturally obtained that led to the development of ink. And so it's thought even that pl- it's thought that Pliny the Elder, right. according to some folks, he uh, helped to develop uh, ink that he wrote with from the from the oak gall. Hmm. And so this. This uh, pigment was obtained from oak galls and mixed with a couple of other different chemicals, including alcohol, uh, to form a, a type of ink. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. Thought, and thought even that most of the writers, uh, really in the 19th century and earlier, used some form of either naturally derived or synthetic oak gall ink. Wow. So some uses for these. Yeah. Uh, for these bizarre uh, formations. There's another use. uh of I mentioned that agrobacterium that is really, really competent at getting into a plant. And there's these little hoops of DNA in the bacteria called plasmids. And they have tumor-inducing plasmids, which basically alter, in some way, alter the plant's development to form the galls. But in recombinant DNA technology, They've been able to excise, splice out the tumor-inducing genes, yeah, plasmid, and then put it back into the bacterium. So the tumor-inducing gene or the gall-inducing genes gone. Then they have another plasmid that has the tumor-inducing gene, but then they splice it. They open up the plasmid and stick in another gene, but where they open it up, they interrupt the tumor-inducing gene. So I'm not exactly sure why they have both, but presumably it's to help the two plasmids to help. They know how to incorporate their DNA, the bacteria, once it gets into the plant, they incorporate their DNA into the plant's genetics. So it's not this separate DNA. They get right in and splice themselves right into the DNA of the plant. But with genetic engineering, they've been able to keep it from not producing a tumor, a gall, mm-hmm. and they can introduce new genes into the plant using this vehicle Yep, as a, a way of introducing 
new genetic material into the plant so that, say, the plant who's used to be vulnerable to caterpillar munching. Mm -hmm. So, let's say you have a caterpillar pest that just munches away at this crop. They use this agrobacterium that's had the gall-inducing genes out, put in a new gene that codes for BT toxin, bacillus thuringiensis yep. toxin, which is a, a toxin that is only toxic to larval lepidoptera or aka caterpillars. Yeah. And so when the caterpillars eat the plant, they, they croak, but it's still otherwise totally harmless to anybody else. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing. So this you can actually and use a tumor inducing bacteria and uh, for our own ends. Incredible. I mean, it's just a neat example of learning from God's nature, right. his creation, to be able to do some a pretty amazing things. Or har harnessing. Harnessing it. Yeah. yeah. And, there, and now we have BT corn. Yeah. And there you go. And that's most of the corn produced, really, probably yeah. in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. So these, these galls, you can see them, I would say, uh, typically... Uh, Midsummer is a great time to look around for galls, and you can see them on all kinds. Of, you know, a, a huge percentage of flowering plants. I think I read something like fifteen percent of flowering plants have some type of gall uh, organism. Yeah, that, you can have it on the galls. stem, sometimes on the leaves. Yep. You ever seen maple leaves with these like red pointy towers? Yep, L little pointy galls sticking right out of the surface of the maple leaf. Yeah. I don't know what causes that one. Do you know? No, I don't know what causes that one either. But I, I do know that the galls take all type of size and shape or yeah. they, uh, they're all types of forms. Yeah. Um, and one of the really fun things to do is to cut that gall open and take to a see, look yeah. at what's inside. Sometimes I do because I, I know that there's either insects or bacteria or virus. If I cut it open, there's an insect there. I know it's an insect. Yeah. If there's no insect, then it's, it mm -hmm. could be virus, bacteria. Something um, little. Or if you see a worm, a nematode, but sometimes those nematodes uh, can be really small. And so, yeah, yeah. something we've always done on field trips, uh, really during the spring and summer in particular is cut open a mossy rose gall. And oftentimes you can see multiple uh, larvae inside just squirming away. And which, what kind of insect does the uh, ro I'm, mossy rose? I am fairly certain it's a gall wasp. Gall wasp. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, that's our most common here. And, you know, this, this really kind of pushes the boundaries of, of uh, our classification scheme. We like to classify creatures into different taxa. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's, it's neat to kind of think about the different relationships when you have, you know, something that's, uh, that requires another living thing that's so different mm -hmm. um, for, its, for its existence. Yeah. So, I'm going to just throw a, a crazy question at you. Were galls in the Garden of Eden? Were galls in the Garden? So, uh, as you point, time. yeah, and and we were talking about this before the show, and want to encourage you, uh, everyone out there, to encourage scientific speculation, encourage uh, studying nature to such a degree that you're able to start to speculate. I wonder if it, I wonder if God did this for this right. reason. Just make sure that you're guarded by Scripture. Amen. Yeah, so absolutely. You're you're not perfectly fine to speculate within the parameters of scripture but as soon as you start going well i wonder if 
you know. Yeah, don't speculate down on the trunk. Speculate out on the skinny branches as, yeah. as you talk about. Yeah, yeah. Make, yeah, if you're on the skinny branches, make sure that it at least it's not contrary to the scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, nefesh life, you made that distinction. Uh, we, talk, we, we hear this word nefesh, and that's the breath of life. God has breathed the breath of life into these creatures. And so, uh, some scientists, some creation scientists have taken that to mean has the ability to take in oxygen and has some type of blood. And so, nefesh life defined broadly, which of course, as you pointed out, excludes plants, probably excludes fungi. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though we don't have a problem with plant death before the fall. Yeah, parasites before the fall. Or someone might say, well, it's fine to cut a tree down to use it for wood, to build a house, but is it okay for... The, the insects or nematodes or viruses to come in and just wreak havoc on plant development. Yeah. You know, and in a way that sort of makes us go, Ew. it's kind of dis- it's, it's maybe disfiguring. disfiguring. Absolutely. So, so let's say, I mean, we might say we we'll go back to truth, beauty, and goodness. It's like, okay, if the gall is pretty and we don't, we don't have to say that it doesn't have to hurt the plant because, well, it's not a nephesh-bearing thing. It's right. not a... So, even if the plant dies, that's not the problem. Bibli- yeah. Biblically speaking, that's yeah. not the problem. But is it beautiful? It, yeah. And so, I would say that if galls did f- happen before the fall, they would be pretty. Okay. <laughs> I like it. They wouldn't be dis... Uh, they, would, they wouldn't be disfiguring. You could say, well, would there be tumors on people before the fall? And this is something where, well, as long as it doesn't kill the person, well, no, uh, it's a disfiguring thing. Mm-hmm. Even if the person is not being killed, let's say it's a benign tumor, but it's a big wart on the guy's nose. Mm-hmm. Let's say one of Adam's descendants had a, so let's say it wasn't no fall. Would we have a problem with a disfiguring tumor? Yeah. On a person that's not lethal, it's a benign tumor. Right. And it's, then I would say, yes, I, I have a problem with that because it's not, uh, it's, it's disfiguring. Right. And so I have, I have more blame to lay at the feet of Adam now yeah. because he really ruined the sample size. Right. You know, Adam, if we could have waited and had the fall like 10 generations later, We'd have all kinds of great data right. to answer this question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if we had cameras back then. But um, so well, I don't have writing, a problem. They were like keeping records when with you their cut, ink. When you cut a tree down and make beautiful wood, you know, wood beams for a house or whatever. Yeah, that seems that doesn't seem it's killing the tree and the, but making its wood beautiful for the and and the but it's not death in the nefesh sense. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm just thinking out loud yeah. that I would say that galls are sort of deforming something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if there is a gall, it, would, it wouldn't be ugly. So, how about the galls that, that are basically flower mimics? There's some mm. galls that actually look like flowers. Now, they don't function like flowers, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, a deceitful thing, maybe to the mm-hmm. creature that's benefiting from the flower. But the, uh, some galls are, I would say, you could say they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would say there's some that are beautiful. But again, we're on the skinny branches. So we, oh, yeah, absolutely. I like staying out on the skinny yeah. branches. As long as we're really solid on the trunk, yeah. I, it's fun yeah. to speculate all day long in the skinny right. branches. Right. Well, and, and, and it's honest, too, in acknowledging that, that we're not going to get 
complete answers to a lot of these questions probably ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we do get closer, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. If we're doing good science and especially to God's glory, mm-hmm. uh, getting, getting closer and closer. Yeah. R- more, more is uh, coming out of that shadow and, and being seen clearly. And maybe the galls could have been something that were pretty and actually were nutritious to Adam and Eve, like a fruit, mm. you know. That's an interesting just like, idea. Just like they were nutritious, say, to the insect, they might be nutritious. Not that we have, I don't know, is there anyone that eats galls? I don't know about eating them. That's or Are you talking about any people creature today, that, uh, you know, people or creatures that eat them? Well, I know that the insects eat them. Yeah. But- that because that's the whole point. That's an interesting question. But yeah, I, I'm just wondering if um, other creatures eat them, and they're yeah. nutritious. Yeah, that could be evidence for a beneficial you know, again, gall. Yeah, a back beneficial gall, something that's beautiful or you know of service to to truth, beauty, and goodness. Truth, beauty. I was going to ask you to repeat that. Truth, beauty, and goodness. Yeah, good stuff. But yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. We didn't answer a ton of questions, but <laughs> maybe we generated a lot of <laughs> A lot of lot interest, of hopefully. And yeah, no, it's just- And now keep an eye open. That's for, right. For galls and see if you think they're pretty. And if they aren't, then maybe they were back before the fall. Good stuff. Thanks, Gordon. Thank you, Will. Good chatting we'll with see you. see ya. See ya.